You can totally do this. You have to pause and ask yourself, what is the story I'm telling myself here? And more importantly, is that story true? We don't want the thing. We think we want the thing, but what we really want is the feeling we think the thing is gonna give us. It is that simple. It is that complicated. It is so much easier than you think it's gonna be. Clarity in what you want, confidence in who you are, and the courage to stay true to both. This is To Call Myself Beloved, the podcast with Lise Wilcox. I'm so happy you're here. (laughs) Okay. Hello, lovely, and welcome back. We are in the month of May. I don't know about you, but all I can see in my head is that little um, Justin Timberlake kind of giffy meme thing that's like, it's gonna be May. Every day, every day that I, I look at the calendar, I'm like, oh, look at the day today. That is what I see in my head, which is funny considering there's so much other stuff going on around us right now. Um, fun fact, May is my personal favorite month of the year. Um, it's my birthday on May 11th and my birthday falls just in rapid succession this year, uh, fresh off the heels of mother's day. So I've got mother's day and my birthday in a 48 hour window com- coming together to be one super holiday surrounded by my baby girls and tulips. So it's not a bad way to spend a month, um, to recognize or really to celebrate those two occasions because, man, I'm a big believer in celebrating the small things and I'm a really big believer in celebrating the big things too. And this year celebrating Mother's Day and my birthday in such a tight time period in quarantine where I'm not actually able to go and see any of my like IRL friends or my amazing extended family, I wanted to to really go with the flow of, all right, this is what it looks like this year. I'm going to emotional alchemize myself um, and think about what I could do to make this month that is already special, even more special given the current circumstances. So as you may have already seen over on Instagram, at least Wilcox, I launched my very first book, for pre-sale. And I think there is no better way of um, celebrating myself, uh, really like marking the occasion in a meaningful, purposeful, really joyful way than really to tuck into the pre-sale of this book. To Call Myself Beloved, A Story of Hope, Healing, and Coming Home is the book. It's like the guidebook I wish had existed when I was navigating all the transition in my life, you know, from identifying and healing from childhood trauma, navigating a really painful divorce, uh, breast cancer and cancer treatment. I noticed in my life at each of those very significant, very traumatic events that I had this like relentless optimism through each. And I, I, as you know, from being here, from being a listener, from being a reader, what have you, um, I have this ability to navigate these extreme life events with grace. And when I started to observe that, and I started to look back on how I had done that, I realized I had kind of created my own set of rules or my own, I guess my own instructions, my own how-to kit. So I wrote a book about it and I'm so proud to share it with you because I know firsthand, obviously, what creating those parameters, I'm so aware of the effect it's had on my life. And as a result, my relationships and my business and my family, like it's just phenomenal. So I'm really excited to share that with you because I know what an impact it's going to have on your life. Now, the really cool thing about uh, launching something in pre-sale is that it allows us to just kind of build a little bit of hype, build a little bit of hype. Um, My goal is to sell 200 copies and to make that really extra special. Those 200 copies, when they're available in print, they'll be signed to you with a handwritten note of appreciation from me, which I kind of think just like, I don't know, it's this little community element, right? It feels very, feels very grassroots and special. Um, 
we were going to launch the book in October, but because, I mean, when I'm recording this, I think we're already almost at 160 copies sold, like pre-sold, which is amazing. And uh, I think I'm in talks with my publisher to possibly push that date up. But regardless, if you are somebody who's pre-ordering, you'll get the book before it's available on Amazon, which is also awesome because that makes you super VIP in my opinion, right? Um, so you can head over to leasewilcox.ca. It's a brand new website. Um, and you can check out the, the link there to purchase. I would really appreciate it. It does make an excellent Mother's Day gift, which is what we're talking about today. I know lots of people in my community have been purchasing it for not only themselves, but for their mom, their sister. Uh, I had an order for 10 girlfriends, which is like, it's just phenomenal, right? It's, I don't know, I don't even have the words to properly express my gratitude and appreciation, especially for something that I know has such positive, lasting impact on people's lives. It's so special. Good segue into talking about Mother's Day and specifically transition. Man, our passage into motherhood is all about transition, isn't it? That like icky, uncomfortable, holy shit, I don't think I can do this. I'm not sure if I'm going to throw up or shit my pants or maybe both. Oh God, please not at the same time. Like transition is blindingly uncomfortable, blindingly. That is not only true of labor and delivery, but it's true of life. So when we get comfortable with the fact that change is the only constant, we're going to have to navigate a shit ton of transition in our lives. When we learn to get comfortable with that discomfort, we really start to shift the power back to ourselves because we really start to observe and embrace that we always have control over our own reaction, right? So we can fight it and scream and shout and cry, or we can really just choose to embrace it and accept it and stop fighting it and just be like, yeah, this sucks right now. And here's how I'm going to navigate and go with the flow. When we're talking about motherhood, I don't think there's a better analogy to use because motherhood is a giant transition on its own. And while Mother's Day is very well intentioned uh, and focused around like, you know, giving mom that one break out of the kitchen and taking her for brunch where she has to wait in a line or just like, uh, you know, delivering breakfast in bed where you're waking her up. And now she has to clean up crumbs from the croissant in her bed. It's like, I, I don't know. Miss Mother's Day is so well intentioned, but it's also so misguided the cultural narrative we have around Mother's Day is like, it's one day, you know, give your mom the attention she deserves. Give your mother the attention she deserves every day. She's your mother. She gave you life. She is doing like, you know, 24, 7, 365 unpaid labor to raise you and guide you into this world. Do some mothers really fuck this up? Yep. Some of them do. Some of them really do. But most mothers are doing a kick-ass job. They're doing the very best they can with what they have. And frankly, that's pretty darn good. And they're raising humans. So maybe we should just make Mother's Day every day, you know? Nonetheless, when we are talking about Mother's Day, there, there are just so many tropes. There are just so many tropes, you know? There's a very finite set of parameters that allow us to define how we celebrate Mother's Day. And being a bit of a, I don't know, non sequitur, <laughs> non sequitur over here. Um, what kind of gets me, gets me going or kind of, I almost said gets me good. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I was going to say it gets me going and it drives me crazy. All like, and it came out in this weird non-Jamaican accent. But anyway, um, what really drives me crazy is that there's so much more to the story of motherhood than we really talk about, you know, I am a mom of three. I had three kids in two years. I did most of that on my own because we had, at the time I was married, we had left the city and moved to a small town. And my partner at the time still worked in the city and was very uncomfortable with a daily commute. So stayed in the city for most of the week. While I was at home with three babies under the age of two. Let me tell you, there is a transition into motherhood. And specifically what we're talking about, which 
I don't think I've mentioned yet in this episode, is we're talking about the identity crisis that hits when motherhood arrives. Is motherhood joyful? Oh my God, yes. Is it full of incredible discovery and wonder and true unconditional love? Oh yes. Is it met with so many moments of incredible, again, wonder and appreciation for the divine nature of our of our world? Yes, 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 yes. My time spent with my kids, especially now, I just feel like, you know, change is the only constant and kids are constantly growing and changing. And at every age and stage, I keep thinking like, oh man, this is the best, you know, like four-year-olds are the best. There's so much fun. And then they turn five and it's like, no, five-year-olds are the best. Like, I don't think it gets better than this. Then they turn six and it was like, oh my God, six is like the best age. And now my kids are seven and nine and I just can't believe it. It is, they're such, they're just, they're so delightful. You know, there's these like bright, engaged, engaging, wondrous little beings that are just like constant joy. My twins especially are constant joy. My nine-year-old is and has always been this old soul, this divinely wise creature who is so, oh my God, so incredibly herself born into this tiny child's body. It's like, they're so wonderful. Toot toot. I <laughs> toot toot over here. They're wonderful children. And I just, man, I was a stay-at-home mom. I have been their primary caregiver for, you know, the bulk of the last decade. And I know I played a role <laughs> for sure. And I also know that my job is, as their mom is not to make the miniature versions of me. It's not to make them into something that I expect them to be. It's to support their natural souls, their natural personalities, to help them recognize and embrace their natural gifts and talents. Like my job is to help celebrate them for being who they are. And I will say, if you define motherhood in that way, I'm an excellent mother. And I stand behind that. They're just amazing kids, but I'm kind of rambling now. Um, Every age and stage of of childhood, I find just keeps getting better and better. And for, for my own kids, it just feels like we're in this total sweet spot of like, it just, it's so much fun. We write song parodies together. My favorite one currently is we have these two little cats, Sushi and Wasabi, they're brothers. And they like to sit at our back door and watch the birds. And so I will like open up the sliding door. So it's just the screen door for them. They get this nice fresh air coming in and it's like cat TV, right? They just sit and they watch this cornucopia of birds flying around our backyard <laughs> with squirrels. And so our favorite parody these days is to sing um, Just My Imagination, but we change the words to, to eat a squirrel like you is surely a dream come true. And it, it like, I can't tell you how much joy this brings me because all I want to do is write song parodies at home. But now I have an audience who actively supports that. And, you know, because we're a blended family, when the girls are with their dad, they'll often like send me a text or something or, or even just come back with, oh, man, we came up with another verse or we came up with another one. Long story short, love my kids. I think they're just amazing. And I love spending time with them. That said, holy shit, there is a transition into motherhood. And the reason that we are talking about that today is because this is often an unspoken crisis, this identity crisis. How do I know that? Well, it's not just from my own experience. Um, You know, being a transformational mindset and success coach, I have a front row seat to the experience of others. And that is a role I take very seriously. And I treasure it because what a gift that I have clients from literally across the world. Like I'm talking three, I think four countries, three continents, two continents, anyway, all over the world who open up to me and tell me what they're actually feeling so that I can help them not only heal that and move forward from it, but create beautiful actionable lifestyle plan that helps them really become the woman they can't stop dreaming about, you know, truly become that vision of themselves they just can't stop dreaming about. 
And in this coaching practice, I would say most of my clients are mothers. And for most of them, one of the common themes is they come to me because they're like, oh my God, I have been somebody's daughter. I have been somebody's wife. I have been somebody's mother. I have been somebody's employee. I have been somebody's boss. I have been somebody's friend. I don't know when my own life begins. I need to do something that is just for me. I have never taken time for myself. And frankly, I need a break. I'm exhausted. I've done everything right. I checked off all the boxes. I did everything I was supposed to do. How come this doesn't feel like it was supposed to feel? So when people come to me from that place, one of those common roots is, well, when I had children, dot, 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 when we have children, we change. And the reason we don't have this conversation, I mean, we barely have it for women, but um, I don't think we have this conversation with men because I'm not sure that the identity crisis in becoming a dad is as prevalent for my male listeners, tell me if that's accurate to your experience or tell me I'm wrong. But I really feel from my own personal observations and experience and certainly my own professional (laughs) experience and observations, it's women who are bearing the lion's share of this identity crisis. You know, here's who I am going into pregnancy and wow, what just happened after this baby was born, right? Like what just happened? So today I want to talk specifically about what this often unspoken crisis is, how it affects each aspect of your life and how to navigate and heal from this place. So when we talk about what this identity crisis is, I'm going to use an example that Man, I use this example when I was speaking on a very large stage not too long ago. And I was sure everybody in the audience would be like slow clapping and like, yeah, girl, yeah, I feel you. No, there were crickets. So I'm going to use it again because I still believe this to be true. And we'll just see how this lands with you. Um, I remember when when my first baby was born almost 10 years ago. One of the first things I did was create business cards, but they were like parenting cards. So that, you know, I lived in Toronto um, in like a super cool up and coming neighborhood. And that's now like not up and coming now. It's just there. (laughs) But um, When I was there, it was like still up and coming. But it was like populated by young families. You know, you could have played a stroller drinking game that everybody, every time a stroller walked by, you'd have to take a drink and you'd be hammered within like 10 minutes. It was like a lot of, a a lot of young families. So naturally, when we were going to the park and meeting all these new people, I wanted to have some kind of contact information, right? And in those days, you know, there was an inclination to introduce like, hi, I'm so-and-so's mom. And then I watched it happen on Instagram too. Apparently when I, when I use this example, like on stage, people are like, no, I didn't make those cards. And I was like, really? Cause I feel like I was not the only person making those cards at the time. They had my name, my daughter's name, definitely introduced myself as her mother and our phone number. Right. I cannot be the only person who created these cards. Cause I know on the Vistaprint website, it was a template I used, so I know for sure it wasn't just me, but maybe I'm just the only one brave enough to admit this vulnerability. Anyway, but I see it on Instagram happening all the time. If you start to read people's bios, it's like, hi, I'm Jackson's mom, or I'm mom, wife, and dog mom, or you know, like there are so many iterations of that, right? I'm, I'm so-and-so's this, I'm such-and-such that. There's an inclination when we become mothers, to define ourselves in relationship to someone else. That is a problem. When you start to define your identity in relationship to someone or something external to you, you are removing agency from being a whole person on your own. That's whack. So instead of being like, hi, I'm Lise Wilcox and I, you know, am who I am, list all the qualities here. If I only introduce myself as 
I am single or I am, you know, divorced or I am a mom of three or I am this, I am that. Suddenly my identity starts to slip very naturally away from who I am as a person towards who I am as an extension of someone or something else. But if we circle back to the very real truth that change is the only constant, when one of those roles changes, suddenly your identity changes. And, you know, you see it happen all the time, all the time with empty nesters that they've, you know, sometimes invested their entire life and their entire identity in their children. Then their kids leave the house and they're like, oh, shit, now what? You know, that one thing I gave all my energy and attention to in the last 20 years just moved out and has their own life. Like, now what do I do? You see it all the time. You just see it all the time. It happens with teenagers. It happens with, you know, school-age kids, whatever. If you define your identity in relationship to your children, if anything changes with your children, your identity changes and it kind of gets like slipped away from you. So that initial identity crisis happens when we transition into motherhood and we start to um, like absolve ourselves of our own identity for being who we are and we start to attach to those roles. Does that make sense? When people come to work with me one-on-one or even in the group, uh, group classes that I've offered in the past, there is a pervasive sense of who am I? You know, who am I? How did I get here? That That's a foundational part of my own story. This wake up moment, like literally, I felt, it was the middle of the day and I was already very much awake. But I remember that that experience, that feeling of waking up me like, where the hell am I? And how did I get here? Who is this person? Like, how did I become this? I did everything right. Why do I feel like this, Right. And so much of that is because, God, from when we're very young, we are, we're taught to put on these masks, just do what it takes to make other people happy. You know, if you're sitting and being quiet, you are rewarded. If you are speaking up or, you know, making noise or dancing around the living room naked, you're, you're punished for that, right? In a lot of families, you're punished for that because you're not you're not normalizing to the expectations around you. So even it happens in the playground with little ones when we're like, mm, he wants your truck. Oh, you, you got to share your truck with him, but I'm not finished. I know you're not finished, but he wants a turn. He wants it now. So we don't want to hurt his feelings. Give him the truck. Never thinking like, well, it's your truck and you're having a really great experience with it and you're not quite finished with it. So how about you finish up and then you give him the truck, right? Like we have, we're so distorted about how we actually raise our kids with, with what values because we do these things from a very well-intentioned place. We often do them out of fear of judgment or <laughs> repercussion from other parents watching us. The parent has nothing to do with the kids. It has like everything to do with how parents are going to judge us, but okay. Um, anyway, but we're learn, we, we are taught or we, we learn from a very early age that we have to do whatever it takes to keep other people happy. And when you are rewarded for that, that becomes your behavior, that becomes your pattern. So suddenly you find yourself in your mid thirties, still, still working off that same pattern. Do what it takes. How do I keep my mom happy? How do I keep my husband happy? How do I keep my kids happy? How do I keep my mother-in-law happy? How do I keep everybody else happy? Except me. How do I make sure everybody else's needs are getting met? Except nobody's actually getting my needs met. Yeah, but I'm really strong and independent. I can do anything. But man, it doesn't mean that every now and then I wouldn't like somebody checking on me and asking if there's anything they can do for me. It's like, it's so distorted and it's so fractured. And again, I got to tell you, I bear witness to this experience for people at least six times a week, at least. And that's just in my coaching clients. That doesn't even include the messages that I get, the DMs that I get, the feedback I get on my podcast the calls from future clients or potential clients, right? I'm talking just straight up clients. We have this conversation over and over and over again. How do I balance it all? How do I manage all these roles? How do I actually figure out who I am, what I want? How do I make that happen while making sure that I am still honoring all the needs of my family? 
So that's going to kind of slide us into a transition into the, the second point here. How does this identity crisis affect each aspect of your life? Well, very simply, it starts with the shoulds. When we start to qualify our behavior by things we should do or should feel or should experience, we're setting ourselves up for failure, pure and simple. So, you know, well, a good mom should do this. You know, I feel like I should X, Y, and Z. I feel like I should be in their classroom volunteering. I feel like I should be at home with them. Well, I feel like I should actually be out working because, you know, I got, I love my job and I got to do this, but I feel like I shouldn't have a nanny. I don't know what to do. I feel like my kids should be in sports. Well, they really like soccer, so they really should be on the rep team. But I really value my weekends and kind of don't want to travel. But, you know, that's what I should do as their parent. It's like as soon as you start to let yourself be navigated by all the shoulds, you're going to fail. One of my favorite memes of my own is stop the should show. Do what feels good for you. Do what is in alignment with who you are and what your values are. And that's when you're going to feel good. That's when you're going to feel flowy and aligned. When you're acting out of what you should do, how you should feel, what you should expect, it's it's not going to work because it's somebody else's false and largely fictional expectation of reality. You have to keep coming back to listen to what you need what you want and what makes you feel whole. So how does that identity crisis affect each aspect of your life? Well, kind of, it's kind of pervasive, you know, it starts to affect how we parent. It starts to affect how we plan our days and schedule our time. It starts to affect our relationship to our own careers and our work. It starts to affect how we see our partners and interact with our partners. Like, well, we should stay together because of the kids. I mean, we can't get along. We haven't had sex in two years. I don't particularly like I don't particularly like being with him, but you know, the kids. So I guess we should stay together. It's like, no, 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 no. What you should do is listen to what you need and listen to what you want. I know for a lot of women, a lot of women, there is this weird like Madonna complex that happens when you first transition into motherhood. And, you know, you actually can't have sex for at least a month, probably two. And after that, you know, I am about sex and I'm about nourishing this incredibly special spiritual connection that manifests physically between two people. But when you haven't slept for like (laughs) three months and you usually smell like baby vomit, and you've spent most of your day keeping track of when your baby is either eating or pooping. I mean, call me crazy, but you just don't really feel like you're in the mood, right? There's so much other work to be done to like cultivate your sexual energy. And it it comes from such a nourished, um, caring place that both partners have to be so aware of managing their own needs. so They can actually take care of themselves, take care of the baby and take care of each other. What happens for so many people on top of those, like, I haven't slept, I smell like barf, I like, I just can't. We get wrapped up in this bizarro pop cultural narrative of like, well, now that I'm a mom, I'm not attractive. You know, now that I have this squishy tummy, I'm like, not fuckable anymore. You know, like, well, moms wear high waisted jeans and like don't fuck their partners anymore and it's like hey yo hey yo hey yo what what you should do is what feels good for you i don't know i don't know if it's like the sitcom scenario that gets stuck in our head that we have this vision of and i know that so many of us don't identify to that like to that role that we're that we're shown all the time but we have to appreciate that we are inundated with messages of what moms should do. And then when you become a mom and you have no guidebook as to what you're supposed to do and like what it's supposed to be like, yeah, you're going to rely on some of that internal messaging you've been programmed to believe for, oh, say the last 30 years, right? Well, our marriage should be kind of naggy and we should be bickering and we should not really desire each other. And I guess we should have sex weekly, but I mean, I don't really have to enjoy it. It's kind of just my job to do so. It's like, wait a second. Like women say this all the time. I hear this all 
the time. And it's these, this weird, again, this false fictional set of expectations that it's like, oh my God, this is a direct result of becoming a mom. And that's it. That's it. So when we start to talk about how the identity crisis of motherhood affects your life, it affects every life. Think about your work, you know? I mean, for me, my, my own background is so weird when it comes to this, but for me, I thought I should be a stay-at-home mom. It was like, I'd been told for my entire life that I wasn't creative, I wasn't meeting anybody's expectations, I wasn't going to be a success, sure wasn't going to make any money. I kind of was like, all right, all right, all right. I chose to be a stay-at-home mom, and I think that was the right decision at the time, you know, do the best with what you can at the time. Um, but being a stay at home mom is really hard and like, it's really hard because it's so understimulating. So when you're a really bright engaged woman and you're staying at home in this mind numbing groundhog day cycle of eat, sleep, poop, repeat, it's just like, what the hell? Like you feel like a zombie. You feel like you don't have purpose and you're doing the most purposeful job in the world, raising children. I get that. But the daily grind of it does not feel purposeful. It's very, very difficult. In hindsight, I got to say, I think the best balance is part-time work. I think that you, you know, if you can be at home with your baby, oh my God, full-time for that, especially that first year, we really have time to bond and establish like this incredibly secure attachment. Amazing. And when your kids start to get older, I think if you can find a way of doing part-time work, that's the dream because you get to exercise both, both halves of you, right? You start to stimulate like every part of you in all the best ways. But nonetheless, your work, your career are affected by this crisis of um, identity crisis. How many of us go into jobs that we, you know, we should do that we think we should, we should like, you know, we did go to school for this. So, and we make a bunch of money doing it. So I guess we should stick with it, but we hate it. So many people are in that situation. They become a mom and suddenly it's like they get cracked open. They're like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't go back to doing what I was doing before. I have to do something different. And it's like, okay, so here we go again. Now we're experiencing another transition, that transition of career identity and professional identity. So when I'm talking about an identity crisis, this isn't a flippant thing to say. This is like the act of becoming a mother literally changes every aspect of your life. Um, yeah, friendships, man, your friendships start to change. You, you lose some friends from before you gain new friendships for sure. Some of those friends, <laughs> some of those friends you make specifically because you share the commonality of you two have, you know, birthed a baby into this world. Sometimes then there's a conflict because you don't parent in the same way. And like that becomes like a big struggle. So it's like the identity crisis of motherhood affects every aspect of your life. So what do we do about that? You know, now that we've identified and isolated that issue, what do we do about it? How do we turn this inspiration into action? Well, that gets us to our third point, how to navigate and heal from this. When we're navigating and healing from anything, the core is the same. We do. We have to identify it first. We got to call it out. Sometimes you can call it a label. I just like to say you're naming it because you're really naming, okay, this is the experience I'm having. For so many people, uh, let me say that in a different way. I think that this identity crisis is very consistent for the majority of women who become mothers. Interestingly, we get there in a different way. You know, like if you have a baby naturally, you still experience that Um like if you conceive naturally, you you still have that experience of this crisis. The other side of the spectrum, when couples have been, or even just single women have been trying on their own um, with IVF, you know, it's not easy for most of them. Like when you have that kind of assisted conception, it's not an easy process. It's incredibly taxing and very emotional and very expensive. So then they get to this moment of like, oh my God, finally I'm a mom and it worked and here's this baby and oh my God, this is hard. What have I been dedicating the last five years of my life to? You know, 
that 40,000 bucks I had saved up, I used it for this. Then they start to experience this identity crisis of like, what have I done? And why do I feel ungrateful? And I should feel grateful. I really should. I've been working for this for so long. Oh my God, it costs us enough. And they get to that moment of like, oh my God, what am I doing? Like the feeling is the same, even if it takes a different um, route to get there. Again, in my professional experience, this is what women are experiencing. Like just all of these feelings that come from this fractured identity from the very simple and profound act of becoming, becoming a mom. So once we identify that, once we name it, once we have the actual courage to step up and be like this and then say aloud or to ourselves, this is very different from how I thought it was going to be. This is not the picture I have been sold in movies and TV and Hallmark cards for my entire life. This feels very intense and I feel a little bit unsure and I feel afraid and I have just realized I've committed to one thing for the rest of my life that's going to consume possibly every waking moment and possibly every sleeping moment too. When we can have the courage to identify that I'm having some feelings here, that's a really good step because once you identify your feeling, you know our feelings are just feedback. And our feelings, which are feedback, give us very valuable insights as to what still needs to be healed. So, you know, I can share with you personally, my own experience was like, as soon as I became a mom, I became so viscerally aware of the injustice that my own mother left our family when I was really young. I became viscerally aware of the tragedy that I was raised in an abusive household after that. It's like I had tuned it out. I'd blacked it out. I'd blocked it out for a good long time. I did a really good job of repressing it. I found all the right reaches, booze, spending, relationships. I found all the right things that I needed to repress those feelings and not feel them. And when I became a parent three times over in less than two years in such like rapid succession, and I became fully responsible for these little girls and was naturally very good at it and very loving and very tender and still struggled. You know, after the twins were born, I definitely had postpartum and I didn't know what to do about it until I had another wake up moment was like, holy shit, I need some help here, right? Identify it, ask for help. But nonetheless, my own experience in becoming a mom, it, 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 it's like the, uh, the levee broke. I couldn't hold it down anymore. I couldn't repress it anymore. I was overcome with feelings of, you know, it had felt like a, like a pervasive sadness for my whole life. And when I had the mental space to start feeling it, I realized I had decades of anger and decades of resentment and hurt and disappointment and injustice pent up, you know, spoiler alert, I got breast cancer very shortly after that. And I am very confident there's a direct correlation between the two. I had so much pent up emotion that I had not been able to feel. And I hadn't given myself permission to feel because I was too scary. I didn't want to be brave. I didn't want to be courageous. I didn't think I was brave. I didn't think I was courageous. It was that act of motherhood when I gave birth naturally. You know, my first baby was born at home in six hours. She was born so fast. Like I didn't know I was in labor for most of it until she was like actually coming out. And you know, my then husband called the midwife and she was like, I'm sure you're going to be fine. Like, don't worry. We've got, Oh my God, the baby's coming right now. Like she was born so fast. The other midwife couldn't even get there. Uh, my twins, um, where I live, you, you can't have twins at home. Uh, so I had to have a hospital birth with them. And the hospital had been pushing and pushing and pushing to have to give me an epidural. And it doesn't align with what I believe in personally for my body, my choice. I don't care what other people do. It's my body, my choice. 
And I'd been fighting for like nine months to not have this epidural. And finally, in the moment, I was like, fuck it. Just I, if this is going to make this easier, fine, do it. They got the line into my back. And, and as they did, as they got the needle in, I like grabbed a nurse by the collar. And I was like, these babies are coming now. And she rolled her eyes at me. And she was like, sure, you've been in labor for three hours. I'm sure they're coming. And she was so sarcastic. I'm fucking pregnant with twins. And it's August of a heat wave. I was like, not to be fucked with in that moment. I literally grabbed her by her collar. I was like, I have done this before. And these babies are coming right now. And she was like, okay, let's have a look. And all of a sudden she was like, oh my God, call everyone. Because again, like my twins, they, they got the lion in my back. So I had the discomfort of that experience, but they never actually administered any anesthesia. The twins were born in less than four hours from start to finish. It was insane. Like I went into labor in my front yard and four hours later, after a one and a half hour commute to get to the hospital, they were born. It was like, it was a crazy experience, but nonetheless, I had three babies naturally. I had a twin birth naturally in each of those moments that I navigated to with grace, minus the one minor, you know, assault on a hospital employee, um, which was necessary by the way. Um, I couldn't shake the feeling of like, oh my God, if I can do that, I can do anything. What else can I do? So it was this like act of becoming a mother that rocked me. It like, it shifted something, well, it shifted many things inside of me, I'm sure from a physical perspective, but it shifted something spiritually, energetically, subconsciously, it shifted. And from that moment, I was like, shit, that was pretty brave. That was pretty courageous. I was pretty scared going in, but it worked out kind of okay. Hey, yeah, yeah. What else could follow that same pattern? That allowed me to crack open and it allowed me to be open to the experience of identifying my own shit and being aware of my own very heavy emotional baggage that I'd been carrying single-handedly for a very long time. So when we identify this is what we're feeling and we trace it back to finding um, finding out from the insights that we're being given what needs to be healed, we heal it. Can we do that alone? Probably not. It's in that moment that you have to ask for help. You have to ask for help. That's why people hire coaches right there because they're like, holy shit, I know how I feel. I know how I want to feel. And sister, they are not the same. And yes, I am a strong, incredibly high potential, like very capable, independent woman, but I have no idea how to get to where I want to go. That's why they hire coaches. So you got to identify it and start that healing process, which largely starts by asking for help. Somebody who can help you identify the blind spots. You know, where is this pattern coming from? Where else have you experienced this pattern? What can we do to start breaking that pattern? What are you still hanging on to at a subconscious level that we need to identify and release to help you further break that pattern and really move on without those limiting beliefs that have been holding you back for so long, right? That's how you do it. You just do it. The tragedy for me when I watch this happen is that, you know, I watch women all the time say like, yes, I want to do this. I want to do this. I don't want to feel like this anymore. I know how I want to feel. I don't know how to get there. I need help on my own. Oh, but I, that costs a lot. So I don't want to do it. Or, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I have the time to do it. Those are very real fears. Don't get me wrong. I'm not dismissing them. They're very, very real fears. But not but and at the same time you have to be aware of that fear and be like okay but what will happen if I do this and what will happen if I don't do this you know we're talking about an investment in time and money in yourself and the irony is that if you are someone who does invest the time and money which we're talking about energy so if you are somebody who already invests the energy in yourself you probably don't feel like that anymore. It's when you feel like that, when it feels so overwhelming and out of balance and out of alignment, that's a very good indication that you, have, you haven't, to date, spent any energy on yourself. You haven't invested any energy in yourself. So it's like, this is the kind of the catch 22, is that if you want to navigate and heal this, then navigate and heal this. And what that takes is investing the energy 
in yourself, it starts with an intention. It starts with a decision that, you know what? I am going to heal through this. The tragedy for me is when I watch people identify and isolate the problem and then do nothing about it. Well, we do have kids. So, you know, they do, they got to go to hockey. So I'm going to take that money. I'm going to put it to hockey or we do have kids and no, I'm not very happy in this marriage. And I kind of think we've outgrown each other, but you know, we're going to stay married for the kids. And it's like, Oh, please don't do that. (laughs) You are so worthy of feeling so good. Please don't shrink yourself to fit into these parameters that somebody else laid out for you and told you it's what they think you should do. When you really are somebody who wants to take ownership and agency of your life, you have to do what you want to do, right? And I mean, that's my that's my point for everything. It's like my raison d'etre is like be yourself. <laughs> when you are yourself, then you have the permission to fully show up as you. You get to be you. And when you are you, you naturally show up in your business, in your life, in your love, in your relationships, in your in waiting in the line of the taco truck. When you are fully yourself, You show up differently, including in your parenting, with all of the divinely chosen gifts you were born with. That, to me, is invaluable. To me, it's like, okay, what's it going to take? You know, like, what's it going to take for me to become that vision of myself that I can't stop dreaming about? Like, sign me up, I'm in, I'll do it. When we shrink, when we ignore that stuff, trust me, the messages don't stop. It's not like, hey, thanks for the message. I'm going to identify this problem that I have and I'm never going to solve it. The messages don't stop. They keep getting louder. So when you, and I, again, I learned this from very intimate experience. When you press it down and you repress it and you ignore it and you don't deal with it, something happens. You're either going to get phenomenally sick. It's going to manifest in some kind of illness or injury. You're going to hit some kind of a wall and that wall is called adrenal failure from pushing, pushing, pushing too much, or you're going to have a nervous breakdown. And I, that's, that's not hyperbole either. People have meltdowns where they can't deal anymore because they've been carrying all the weight on their own for so long and they've relinquished the identity of who they are for so long and instead substitute it with other people's versions of who they think they are or with all the different roles they play in their lives to other people. And all of a sudden they hit the wall and they have a breakdown. They're like, I can't do this anymore. It all all just falls apart. Can I offer a small piece of of advice? (laughs) Don't get there. Don't Don't wait for that to happen. Don't wait for this shit to hit the fan before you decide to like change your life. Anyway, this is probably the longest podcast I have ever or will ever done. And it's because I'm so passionate about this. This is a, this is a real crisis. It's a real crisis of our generation. I'm, I think it's, it's probably an even bigger crisis for the generations that came before us. And I feel like I have a responsibility to offer my own insights and experiences to help solve this problem. Because when you are carrying the weight as mom, when you're carrying all the weight because you think you should, guess what you're teaching your children? That that is what is expected of them to put everybody else ahead of themselves and ignore what they actually want and like and need so they can make somebody else happy. And then the bloody cycle keeps going and going. I got to tell you, for my kids, maybe you don't feel this way and that's that's up to you, right? The way I feel for my own kids, I want to constantly show them that they are worthy of feeling good, that they deserve to be treated wonderfully, that all they have to do is be themselves and life will start to unfold in the way it's supposed to unfold. They will be ready to meet every challenge with grace and tenacity and they will be willing to meet every moment of joy with like radical abandon and just simple pleasurable reception of the beauty of that moment that's how i'm raising my kids that's it because i'm raising my kids like that i had to learn to raise myself like that and when i started to raise myself like that holy shit Raising my kids got so much easier because now we're all doing the same thing. I'm walking the talk. I walk the talk in my own business and I really walk the talk in my own life. And it is an incredibly beautiful, freeing, peaceful, empowering place to be. So happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day from me to you. Let's just wrap that up with like, I don't know, a chocolate rose or something. 
What is that often spoken on crisis of motherhood? It's an identity crisis. How does it affect your each aspect of your life in, in every way? It's an insidious crisis that kind of slips in and it sneaks in kind of quietly so you don't notice it until the house of cards that you've built has kind of fallen over. And how do you navigate and heal from that? You have the big breath moment of courage that you identify that this is hard. You have that moment of courage. It's like, holy shit. I am really in this and I, I know how I want it to be. I know how I want to be as a woman. I know how I want to show up as a parent and a business owner and a partner and a mother and a friend and a this and a that. I, I know how I want to show up. I know how what I want to raise my kids to show up and I don't know how to do that on my own. So I'm just going to reach out and ask for help. If that someone is you and you are in that like epic level of courage right now, oh man, I'm here for you. I am here to support you. You can book a coaching consult with me on my website at leasewilcox.ca. We can just chat for like 15 minutes of as to what specifically that would look like for you to work with me. In general, we work together for six months. The first month, we just do one call a week for four weeks. And so in that time, they're like these big clarity sessions. We get really clear on where you're coming from and where you're at and where you want to be and what kind of patterns have there been and what kind of stories have you been told and what kind of beliefs are there like kind of stuck up there in your subconscious that are holding you back from getting what you want. We talk about what's working so well, what you're really proud of. And we talk about the things that aren't working really well that you need a little bit of help with. And after that, for the next five months, we do one call every two weeks together as we create this actionable, lifestyle-friendly plan that allows you to implement actual changes, like life-lasting changes from a mindset perspective, from a success perspective. We allow you to implement an action plan that actually changes your life, like hand to God, changes your life, feels amazing. It takes six months. Bingo, bango. If that's you, send me a message, reach out to me. I'm here to support you. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your time. I know that, you know, from all the people that I talk to, make and just being being a woman in this stage of my life, like owning a business and running a family, making time for yourself, creating time for yourself is finite. And the fact that you've chosen to take that time that you've allotted to give to yourself and you're spending it here with me in your ears... You're so special and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I hope you check out my book. Um, I hope you keep coming back for this podcast. I hope you reach out to me for coaching. I hope that we get to stay in this moment and share this connection. But until then, I wish you a very happy Mother's Day. I hope it's a beautiful day for you. I hope that if you are somebody listening to that who isn't a mom, I hope that you have the, um, ah, the strength to be there for somebody else in your life who might be struggling with some of these issues. And maybe, maybe there's some lessons that you can carry over into your own life about other areas of your life that start to consume you. And we could talk about the identity crisis that comes from being a business owner very, and it's, it's like all the same conversation, just like slightly, slightly different. In any case, I really appreciate you and I'm grateful for you being here. You are so lovely. Thank you. learn from the past, prepare for your future, but ultimately you have to live in the now. It's fascinating when you just focus on, you know, imagining what the highest version of yourself would do. And then you start to act as if you already are that person. You can watch it transform your behavior right now. (sighs) We did it. (laughs) Let's go get some tacos.